Well, how are we doing? Good? We're good? <laughs> I just like letting it hang there for a second, just to let, let it get a little awkward for a moment. I have a sick sense of humor, I guess. My name is Matt Ritchie, and it's good to be with you today. Pastor Keith, as I mentioned before, uh, is out of town. And uh, we are in part six of XO, our series on relationships, God's way. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter five, and we're going to start in verse 21. But before I get there, let me just make a few acknowledgments right up front. First of all, we are talking about marriage. Okay. Um, I am not a marriage expert. I am learning through this message, just as you are. Um, I get the benefit of thinking about it for three weeks before I actually have to preach it. And I think about all the things I need to be doing better, okay? And so I've already been under conviction. Uh, and so I just wanted you to know that I am not the perfect husband. I am not an expert in this topic. I am learning alongside of you. The other acknowledgement that I wanna make is that this is a really big topic and it's gonna be really, really hard for me to fit it into 30 minutes so that there's not a traffic jam across half of Nampa. And so I'm gonna really try to get it down to that, but I am just gonna tell you there's parts of this that I would, I hope, I hope I don't do this, but there may be pieces of this message that I just don't fully explore. And you may have other questions because I didn't finish my, uh, the study part of that. I am gonna try to communicate as clearly as I can, but there's gonna be a mention of things probably that you're like, I wish you would have said more about that. Well, so do I, okay? But I may not be able to get to it. The other thing that I wanted to say is let's just set up some ground rules, okay? So since we are talking about marriage, the first rule is this, especially for you married couples, listen for, your spell, listen for yourself, not your spouse. No elbowing, okay? No elbowing, listen for yourself, not for your spouse, okay? And then secondly, another ground rule is listen with humility, okay? We all have something to learn and myself included. I need to learn this just as much as you. So let's listen with humility. And then I also understand that there are people here that are not married. And so I would ask you to focus on what Jesus is calling you to, because I believe that there is a next step for all of us. And even though we are looking at the topic of marriage, I believe even if you're single, not married, whatever your context may be, there is going to be something for you today. And so I'd challenge you to listen to what Jesus is calling you. Let's try to put aside our feelings. Let's try to put aside our opinions. Let's try to put aside what culture wants to say to us. And let's focus on what Christ has for us today. Ephesians chapter five, I'm gonna jump right in. I'm gonna acknowledge in verse 21 where Paul's writing, he says, I'm gonna kind of finish the sentence there. He says, he's asking us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he jumps in to the marriage piece. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Anybody just love these verses? It's an, no wonder Keith is out of the country when this topic comes up. 
We're gonna come back to this. I'm gonna try to explain it, but let's move on for now. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, and this is maybe our key verse. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now here's what I do not want you to hear. Okay, I'm gonna repeat that. Here's what I do not want you to hear. Boys rule and girls drool, okay? <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. And neither am I saying that girls rule and boys drool, okay? Um, I borrowed from my seventh grade theology um, on that one. But this is not a message about men are better than women or women are better than men. In fact, I would say it this way. Yes, we are different. We are equal in worth and value in the eyes of God, but we are different. We are not the same. And I feel like one of... This is where I'm tempted to go off on a tangent. But in our culture, I feel like we are being pressed into defining equality as sameness. Equality speaks to our self-worth and our value as human beings. We have dignity and worth and value in the eyes of God. We are his image bearers. We are created in the image of God. Every person matters, but we are not the same. There are two very distinct genders. God created male and he created female and he created them different. Now there are some similarities. We have fingers and toes and eyes and noses and we have personalities and senses of humor and there's some feelings that kind of cross over and we have emotions and there are some similarities but there are very distinct differences. And there's only two. Thank you. Now, those differences, however, are sometimes what make marriage difficult. But I want to remind you that, um, and we're going to get to why that is in a second, but I want to remind you that because we have differences, we have distinct roles. And there, this is why Paul gives a, a different command to the husband and a different command to the wife. He says to the, to the wife, you are to respect your husband. He gives a different command to love, uh, for husbands to love their wives. Now, should wives love their husbands? Yes, of course. Should husbands honor and respect their wives? Yes, of course. But there are two distinct genders. There are distinct differences. And that is why we are called to distinct roles. And let me just give you kind of a, let's just kind of use a funny kind of picture to illustrate our differences. If you and your, your spouse are getting ready for a night out, maybe you're meeting some friends, maybe it's a date, maybe you're actually going to church, I don't know what it might be, but you're going out and someone says, the statement is made, I have nothing to wear, okay? 
Here's what the woman means. When she says, I have nothing to wear, she means I have nothing new to wear, or she has nothing trendy to wear or in style to wear. What the man means when he says, I have nothing to wear, he means I have nothing clean to wear, okay? (laughs) And so we can make the same statement, but we mean different things, right? And, and I, I haven't read these books, but there's books like Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. I think there's another one that Men Are Waffles, Women Are Spaghetti. I haven't read those books. I can kind of guess at what they're trying to get at. But the point is we all understand that men are different than women. I see this in my own kids. I have a son and two daughters. When you ask the girls to clean up their toys, it's like a a fairy dance, like, you know, and they're like, la, 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 you know, and they're like creative and like, like, and Landon is just like, pick up your toys. And he's like chucking his cars and, you know, like, and uh, we went, (laughs) we went to a wedding Um, last weekend. I was officiating a wedding up in Grand Jean, Idaho. Beautiful setting. It was an outdoor wedding and they had the wedding venue set up. It was just beautiful benches outside, very rustic. And then they had the reception area set up and the girls were just excited. They wanted to get dressed up and they wanted to go to the wedding. And we drove past where the reception was set up. And this is what my six-year-old son said. The tablecloths were out, the china was on the table, the flowers were out, they had lights strung around, the whole thing was beautiful. He said, let's just go knock it down. (laughs) And he goes, I'm kidding. Men are built for destruction, for conflict. (laughs) Girls are, they're different. The way they clean up, the way they do their chores, it's, it's just completely different. And we understand this, we know this. And I wanna remind you that yes, we are equal in worth and value in God's eyes, but we are not the same. And that's not wrong, that's good. Our differences are good, but our differences mean that we have distinct roles. That's why God has given the man and the woman different admonishment. Now, I wanna pause right here and do a little bit of a word study because again, I don't want you to hear girls rule, boys rule, you get the whole thing. Sometimes when um, we read those first few verses where it says, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Wives submit in everything to your husbands. We link it back, I'm gonna link it back to Genesis where God looks at Adam and here he is, uh, the, he's the first man created. No one else is on earth. He's in the garden, there's no sin. He's walking with God, but yet God looks at him and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. This is in Genesis 2, 18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. And sometimes when we read that word helper that's translated uh, from the Hebrew, we think lesser. And it would be easy for women to sit here and think, well, as a helper, I am somehow lesser than. And that's a a message that our culture has kind of latched onto and says, if you're just a stay at home mom and you don't have a job and you don't have, then, then you're lesser. If you're just considered a helper, you're lesser. And that is not the case. 
In fact, that same word that's applied to Eve, that's translated helper, is the same word that the Lord applies to himself. In Psalm 33, 20, it says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And so ladies, I I want you to hear first and foremost that when the word helper is applied to you, it is the same word applied to God himself. Somebody made the comment after the first service that I should have my wife up here with a microphone helping me preach this because she is a helper to me. I cannot imagine life, living life without the wisdom, the intuition, the support, the strength, the character, the prayers of my wife. She is, in fact, this word is a military term. And when I think of military in the ancient culture, I think of men shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield. In fact, in the Roman times, it's my understanding that the shield of one guy would cover half of the body of the next guy. And then his shield would cover half of his body, but it would cover the the next, the shoulder of the next guy. And they would link their shields together and they would advance in tight formation against the enemy. And this is the word picture I have when it comes to marriage is that we are shield to shield, we are shoulder to shoulder and we are advancing together. And we are fighting this thing called life. We are fighting the enemy or we're fighting for what we believe in together. And she is by my side. I think there's a clue to this because she's, or Eve was formed out of a rib, the side of Adam. And so helper is not lesser, helper is actually the word of value and it's even applied to the Lord himself. Another word that I wanna talk about just for a moment is the word submission. Again, when we read this, we can interpret submission as weaker or lesser. And that is again, not the case. The same word used to describe the submission of a wife to her husband is the same word used to describe Christ's submission to the father. In 1 Corinthians 15, 28, it says this, when all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things into subjection under him that God may be all and in all. And that same word subjected is the same Greek word used for submit. In other words, Christ has not called ladies to do something that he has not done himself. The submission, the subjection that he calls ladies to is something that he emulates himself. And so that's why he says, submit as Christ, submit as to the Lord. And again, when, and I can feel the tension in the room, based on our culture, we can think that this is somehow a lesser, a lesser role. But again, don't hear this, boys rule and girls drool. That's not what I'm saying. This is a term of dignity, and this is a different role based on your strength as a woman that God has designed and created you for. And it is not lesser. It is a submission of strength. It is a role of strength. Now, husbands, what does it mean to be called to love? Because the love that we are called to have is again, one of sacrifice. You know, um, you, you could almost say it like this. Husbands, we are called, we are called to love in such a way that we would be willing to die, to lay down our life for our wives. 
And there was a husband that said, you know, I, he, she said, honey, I love you so much that I would die for you. And she said, you keep saying that, but you never do. But really, it does say that in the scripture. It says that husbands, you are called to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, the love that we are called to have is the same kind of love that God has to the world. In fact, it's the same word used in John three sixteen. for God so loved, he gave his only son. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. The word that is used to describe God's love for his people is the same word that he uses to describe the love that a husband should have for his wife. It's one of sacrifice. It's one with no strings attached. It's, it's agape, unconditional, self-sacrificing love. And I already told you there's a bunch of things that I would, could easily get off topic on, but I didn't say this in the first service, but I, I think hopefully this will clarify what I'm trying to say. When men do not love well, when men do not love well, that's a hard man to follow. When Christ's love is evident in, in the love of a man, when he is loving his wife as Christ loved the church, there is no problem with the roles. It is fulfilling to the woman, it is fulfilling to the wife to want to follow and, and partner with her husband when he is loving like Christ. We're gonna to get to respect and honor in a moment, but it is easy to respect and honor a man who is loving as Christ loved the church. It is actually what fulfills the woman. Husbands, if you are not loving well, if you are not loving well, it's going to frustrate, it's going to frustrate your wife. She is not gonna be fulfilled. And let me just say it like this. I have seen relationships. I have experienced it in my own marriage where I have abdicated my role as a husband and it's forced my wife into a position of decision-making and leadership and it's frustrating to her. She is not designed for that. But yet when I love well, and I lean on her and we have a mutual submission to one another and we have a partnership, a true communicating, loving, Christ-centered marriage, when the, then the roles are balanced and everything's as it should be. Doesn't mean there aren't hard days, but when I love well, she partners well. When I don't love well, it forces her into a position that she doesn't wanna be in. And I've never seen a wife who's had to be in charge of her family and loves it. And I've never seen a man, a husband who has abdicated his role as a, as a husband and he's completely filled with joy and happiness and peace. He's frustrated. And so this is partly why I believe that God calls us. We have distinct roles. We have differences. We are wired and designed for different things. And if we step into the roles that God has called us to, it's not gonna be a dictatorship. It's not 
akin to some sort of slavery or, or chauvinistic patriarchy. It is a loving Christ-centered relationship of mutual submission. And both are gonna be fulfilled. I know that's hard. It's hard for me to communicate that. I don't even, I hope I'm being clear, but I really believe that if we pursue what Christ has called us to, it will be fulfilling to everyone. Now, I said that because of our distinct differences, it means we have distinct roles. The second point is, if you're following along in your sermon guide, our differences are what make intimacy possible. I don't know if you've ever played with magnets, but if you get them turned around backwards and you get the same poles pointed at each other, you can't get them together, okay? You push, and, it, and like as a kid, I remember playing with magnets and trying to push them together when you had the poles, the similar poles pointed at each other, didn't work. But if you flip them around and the opposite poles are facing one another, they stick together, right? That's how a magnet works. I'm not a scientist. If I didn't explain that right, somebody correct me. But the point is opposites attract. And you've seen this in relationships. There's a listener and a talker. It's like how they get together. Well, one was a talker, one was a listener. That's why they were attracted to each other. There's personality differences that actually cause us to want to be together. Usually extroverts are attracted to introverts. And Pastor Keith actually talked about this over the last two weeks when he talked about the deal, uh, the sexual sin and all the things that come along with that. But what he explained was actually even our physical differences are what allows us to be intimate. God created us differently, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and it's our differences that allow for intimacy, for oneness to take place. And so our differences are actually good. But so often we focus on our differences and we just say, well, we have nothing in common and that's why we're not getting along. No, it's our differences that is actually what makes intimacy possible. However, thirdly, third point, because we are different, intimacy requires effort. Intimacy requires effort. We have to work through our differences. I'm gonna lean on a study done by Emerson Egrich. He's the author of the, the book, Love and Respect. And him and his team asked 7,000 people this question, both men and women, husbands and wives. They asked this question, when you find yourself in conflict with your spouse, do you feel unloved or disrespected? 83% of the men said they felt disrespected. 72% of the women said they felt unloved. Now he uses a word picture um, to, to illustrate this. And he uses the word picture of, uh, imagine that both parties, a husband and a wife, both have an imaginary tank. And the woman's tank is filled with love and affection. And when her husband is speaking that language to her, when he is loving her in that way, then her tank is full. But yet when he is not giving her love and affection. When he's not speaking that to her, it's as if he's standing on the hose and she is deflating. And the same is true of a man. If the, the wife is not speaking the language of respect and honor to her husband, it's as if she's standing on his hose and his tank is deflating. And I think we've probably all, all experienced this, whether it's in friendship or in marriage, when you've said or done something to someone, have you ever seen someone deflate? Their eyes drop, their shoulders droop, their posture weakens, and you know that they are defeated. They're deflated. 
And in the context of marriage, I can tell you that when I have won the argument and watched my wife deflate, it's not a fun feeling. I don't want to deflate my spouse. And I don't think you do either. And so how do we get off of the air hose? How do we step off of that and allow them to be healthy, to take in what they need? And here's part of the problem. I already kind of mentioned it. Men, generally speaking, outside of extreme circumstances and deep wounds that, that maybe need some, some counseling and, and some therapy of that nature. But generally speaking, when two people are in a marriage that deeply care about each other, it's still very, very easy for both parties to be passing like ships in the night because we're speaking different languages. Men, generally, we speak the language of honor and respect. My favorite movie, um, it's this movie called Gladiator and Russell Crowe is getting ready for like a battle and he walks up and down the line in his like military garb and he is like hitting his chest, strength and honor, strength and honor, strength and honor. And like, I just wanna go through the TV and like, like go to war. <laughs> Women are like, that's dumb. <laughs> like, why would you do that? Like, just because somebody says strength and honor to you, yeah, I don't know why. That's why we're different. Strength and honor speaks to the spirit of a man. When somebody honors you and respects you, negatively, it's the ego. What do you say? What do we say about men? Oh, they just got an ego. That's the carnal side of it. The holy side of it is that Christ has designed us, designed us to respond with strength and honor, with respect and honor. And it needs to be apart, by the way. It's apart from our achievements and our successes. Men, one of our deepest need, if not our deepest need, apart from knowing Christ, is to be honored and respected, not because of what we have done, but because of who we are. And if we have sin and, and junk in our closet that's secret and we don't respect ourselves, you can see it. When a man is carrying shame and he doesn't have self-respect and he doesn't have the respect of the men around him or the people around him, he's deflated. He's a shell. And ladies, conversely, you speak the, the language of love and affection. And by the way, this is apart from this is apart from your physical beauty and apart from uh, sexual attraction. Men, to speak love and affection to your wife, it needs to be apart from your sexual relationship. It needs to be non-sexual. It needs to be emotional, it needs to be a spiritual. It needs to be about who she is, not what she looks like or what she has done. And so to speak that language of love and affection to our wives. Men, it takes a shift in our mindset because it's not natural to us. I'll give you an example of this. In my early uh, years of marriage, my mom had taught me, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And with guys, when I had conflict with my friends, we like, by the way, let me just pause here. I have a text thread on my phone right now from a couple of guys in this church who are some of my best friends. And it goes something like this, hey dummies, I'm almost there. And then it goes on to make fun of one guy for being so old, he's, uh, and he's like 42. They're like, um, <laughs> which is not old. 
But like, and I didn't say this, this is another guy saying it. He said, um, we need to go need to pick him up at uh, Grace Assisted Living because he's so, like we make fun of people's, our friend's age, their looks, their weight. We call them names, dummies, idiots, whatever. And this is the people we love the most, okay? This is how men talk to each other. And in some level, and I was discussing this with a friend, I was like, when you get close enough to another guy, when you can say, hey, idiot, don't be such, an, don't be such a dummy, like that's your closest friend. That's basically saying, I love you and respect you, okay? <laughs> and I tried to explain this to my wife and she's like, don't say that, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, it makes sense to the guys, am I right? <laughs> Thank you, okay. Now, can you imagine a woman going up to a, one of her friends and being like, man, you've gained so much weight. What are you gonna do about those wrinkles, you big dummy? Can you imagine a woman calling another woman a dummy or an idiot? No. But somehow in our differences, it's because we, we speak a different language. And deep down, men need to be honored and respected, not for what they've done, but for who they are. Women, they need to be they, need, they speak the language of love and affection. And we need to shift our mind to understand that our spouse speaks a different language. And we need to do our best to speak that language. In Alaska, there's a sign that reads, choose your next rut because you're gonna be in it for the next 60 miles. And if you know anything about Alaska, they basically have two seasons. There's winter and July, okay? <laughs> and when the snow melts and you go down these muddy roads, and people drive down them, a rut starts to get formed and then every car after that kind of gets pulled into that same rut. And as the earth is softened by the melting snow, that rut gets deeper and deeper and deeper, but then it freezes and then it's basically permanent. And once you get your car tires in that rut, you could literally let go of the steering wheel and just push the gas and it would just drive down the road itself. You're stuck in a rut. Craig Rochelle wrote about this in his book, Winning the War in Your Mind. And he talked about the, the, the phenomenon in our brains. Our brains are so incredible. I don't obviously understand everything that goes on in our brains. I'm not a neurologist. I'm not a medical expert of any kind. And, and my understanding is we're still learning how our brains work. We don't fully grasp it ourselves. But what we do know is that if you think a thought over and over and over again, there is literally a physical neurological connection that is formed that allows you to make thinking that thought easier and easier and easier. This is why you can form habits. This is why some of the skills you have require no thinking at all. When you walk down the aisle to your seat, you don't think about, okay, right foot, Okay, what's next? Left, is it left foot? Yeah, left foot. Okay, right. No, you, because your brain has formed a pathway from early childhood that where you can walk without thinking about it. This is also why we can un unfortunately form bad habits or bad mindsets. You know, you walk in, this has happened to me. I'll come home, sit down, and before, I'm not thinking, I'm not, I'm not even trying to do it. And all of a sudden my phone is out and I'm scrolling and I'm halfway through some stupid meme on Instagram. And I'm like, wait, I don't even remember getting my phone out. Like, how did I do that? Maybe it's not your phone. Maybe it's uh, some other habit. Maybe it's 
Um, I was talking with this, about this with another friend. It's hitting the snooze button 13 times before you get up. You don't even think about it. Boom, not, not nine minutes. Boom. You're like, and then there's other people that are like, I get right up. How can you hit the snooze? I don't understand you. It's because our neurological pathways, the habits we've formed are, compl- are different. Sadly, we can develop mindsets. I'll give you an example of the victim mindset. If something bad has happened to you, your brain can begin to think, well, something is gonna, bad is gonna happen to me again. And actually there's a part of your brain called the RAS. It's a con- collection of, of nerves and, and things in your brain that they alert you to important information. And if, if something is gonna uh, threaten you or bring danger or maybe it's pleasure, this part of your brain is activated to, f- to focus on what is important and discard the rest. And if you think about the information you, your brain is processing in just a matter of seconds, it's an overwhelming amount of information. And so our brain is designed to filter out what's important and disregard the rest. But the problem with that is you can actually have what psychologists call a cognitive bias, where you look for things to support what your beliefs are. So if you believe you're a victim, it's, you can actually develop what they call a cognitive bias to look for evidence that supports the idea that you are a victim and that nothing good is ever gonna happen. So if you failed once, you're gonna fail again. If something bad has happened to you once and you keep thinking that thought over and over and over again, that rut, that pathway, that neurological connection in your brain literally can physically be formed so that you think that thought more easily and over and over and over and over and over again. And this is why sometimes our perceptions do not match reality and it's hard to be convinced otherwise because these are the, our brain literally redesigns itself around thoughts. But here's the good news. Though that can be done negatively, it can be done positively. So let me illustrate it this way. There's a difference between a rut and a trench. I don't know if you've ever dug a trench before, but it's hard work and it's very intentional. When I was in Bible college, one of my, some, one of my jobs to pay for my school bill was landscaping and installing the, the sprinkler systems for people down there. And when we had to dig a trench, we didn't just stick the shovel in the ground and walk away and be like, well, it'll dig itself. Ruts get formed almost by themselves just out of bad habits and repetition. A trench, you have to be very, very intentional and you have to have a purpose. We'd actually mark a line and say, here's where the trench is gonna go. It's gonna go from point A to point B. And the purpose is to get the water from here to there. And it needs to be this deep. And we're gonna put this kind of pipe and we're gonna put this kind of gravel and we're gonna form this trench. And if it, and we're gonna form it intentionally with purpose. The good news is you can do this in your mind. The scriptures actually say to renew your mind, to renew your thinking. And this is why the Holy Scriptures are so important for us to read them on a consistent basis because it breaks down some of our cognitive biases and our negative ways of thinking. And it exposes us regularly to truth that is outside of our perception. And it can actually help us form new thoughts and new neurological pathways. Let me pause here. I only got a few minutes left, but did you know there has been a study done by some neurological professors in the state of Pennsylvania and they did research 
And they said, if someone prays for 20 minutes a day for something like six or eight weeks, the brain actually grows differently to the point where they can tell with a brain scan. There's a physical change in our brains as a result of praying consistently. And the part of our brain that helps us reduce cortisone, cortisol or whatever that chemical is that causes stress, when we pray, that part of our brain becomes more active. In other words, it, the people, people that pray are, are less stressed, they're, they're more peaceful. And then the part of our brain that requires focus and thinking and decision-making and can process consequence, that part of our brain actually also becomes more active in a person that is praying more. Do you think God knows what he's doing in his design of us? That literally a spiritual act of prayer can have a physical, biological, you can see it on a scan. And this is kind of blowing my mind right now because I just learned this. But how cool is God that a spiritual discipline of prayer can actually literally transform our mind in a healthy way? So I wanna challenge you when you feel like you're stuck in a rut, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in a friendship, maybe it's in a financial way or other circumstances and you feel like you've developed negative thinking, a negative habit, you can dig a trench with God's help. He can help you with his truth, help you think new thoughts. So how do we get off of our spouse's air hose? Men, how do we speak love and affection into our wives? We have to shift our thinking. We have to pursue Christ. We have to form a trench. We have to form a new pathway and intentionally speak love and affection to our life. Ladies, how do we speak honor and respect into our husband? We have to shift our thinking and that's gotta be intentional and it's gotta be regular. In fact, let me just say it like this to close. I've already talked a little bit about how we are not the same. And it would be tempting to think, well, husbands, if we're to become more loving to our wives, we need to become more feminine. And ladies, it would be tempting to think if I'm gonna speak more honor and respect into my husband's life, then I need to become more masculine. And I would submit to you that that is not the case. Men are not supposed to become more like women. Women are not supposed to become more like men. Men are supposed to become more like Jesus. Women are supposed to become more like Jesus. We are called to become more like him. We are not to give up our masculinity. We are not to give up our feminine, femininity. You try to say it. We're not called to give up who we are and how God has designed us, but we are called to become more like him. And when we pursue him, men, we're gonna be more willing and able to speak love and affection as Christ loved the church. Ladies, when you become more like Christ, you're gonna be able to speak respect and honor into your husband's life as Christ has called you to. So this is not designed to be a burden. This is not designed to be oppressive. This is not God's way. It is what he has called us to. And when we step into what he has called us to, we're gonna be more fulfilled, I promise you. Try it. And if I'm wrong, come back and let me know. I'll give you your money back.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the, the truth we find in your word. Lord, I pray that myself included, I need to do so much better in this area. I wanna be the husband, the man that you have called me to be. I can't do that in my own strength. Lord, I humbly ask for your help. Lord, help me to change my thinking. Lord, I need your help to do that. I pray that I would look to your word and to your truth. And I pray everyone in this room would be motivated not to just work really hard and try to become better, but we would allow you to transform our minds, to transform our thinking in a way that we become more like you and so that the application of these truths are effortless, they're fulfilling, they're life-giving. So Lord, may you be at the center of our marriages. May you be at the center of our lives. May you receive the glory from it all. We pray these things in your name, amen. Thank you so much for your kind attention. Um, Trunk or Treat Table is out in the corridor. If you would like to be a part of that event, um, we would love to have your help. You can donate candy, sign up to serve, bring a trunk, decorate a trunk, that'd be great. If you have a communion cup, I've been asked for you to, I'm, I've been asked to just tell you to, to take it with you to the back. There's baskets near the exits that you can drop your cup in that will help us uh, be prepared for the next service. Thank you so much for, uh, again, for your kind attention. You are dismissed.